Welcome to Getting Heated, the place to debate and discuss all things surf related. The Vans Triple Crown of Surfing is a wrap, but should the winners of the digital version be awarded actual event wins? Also, the Pacific Northwest has been going off, so who got the best ride of the XXL swell to hit Hawaii? And is the progression of women's surfing reliant on mastering waves of consequence or pushing performance-based surfing? Plus, does the safety vest give unprepared surfers too much confidence? Finally, Pete Mel's ride of a lifetime has us going deep into the debate on youth versus accomplishment. What really matters to the surf industry most? Let's fire it up. Hello everyone, and welcome back to Getting Heated for episode two. I'm Dave Prodan, still on temporary loan from the Lineup Podcast, here to moderate the true stars of the show, Kulangata's Mick Fanning, a three-time world champion and the star of 2001 Supercomputer, and Hawaii's Ross William, a former CT standout in his own right, and runner-up to Joel Parkinson at the 1999 Billabong Pro, Jeffries Bay. Gentlemen, thanks for joining us. Morning, Dave. You're going to get punched through the screen by Ross after that comment. 100%. Well, if you were Parco, I would. But <laughs> <laughs> Well, Getting Heated is a place for discussion, debate, and disputes on all things surf-related. And for the opening exchange in Heat 1, we have the Vans Triple Crown of Surfing. Before COVID blew up the first leg of the championship tour, it laid waste to the originally scheduled Vans Triple Crown of Surfing, the three-event series featuring competitions at Haleiwa, Sunset Beach, and Pipeline. However, despite not running events, Vans opted to run a month-long free surfing digital Triple Crown, wherein surfers, both men and women, could submit clips of themselves surfing one of the three breaks and be digitally judged to determine the winners. The interesting wrinkle here is that Vans has decided to award full titles, uh, kind of like Medieval Times, I guess, to the digital winners. So if you win the Haleiwa Digital Submission Competition, your name goes up alongside Joel Parkinson, who won the event in 2018, and 2006 winner Andy Irons, among others. So here's the Heat 1 question. Should these surfers during the Digital Triple Crown actually be awarded full titles for these events? Ross, let's start with you. You know, I'm going to be standing on thin ice here, uh, trying to sort of protect this theory. But I will say, you know, it's 2021. We're we're in the middle of a pandemic. We're we're trying to make do here, and all credit goes to Vans, who had this. I think a brilliant idea. I think this is you know really fun. I think it's very current. Um, it's not as hard. I'm never going to argue that it's not as hard. Um, as it is to win an event, you know, it's, it's a crazy test to actually win a contest at Sunset Hollywood Pipe. So that's, you know, that has something to do with it. But these trophies behind me with Sonny Garcia's name on it and, you know, all the boys, I could just feel my hair standing up right now. But, um, you know, it's, it's a pretty tough subject. Come on, Ross, you don't believe that. <laughs> Stop being a company man. Hey, look, I think uh, it's a straight up no. As you said, mentioned Sonny Garcia behind, you know, how many triple crowns as he won to win a triple crown event is next level it's the hardest thing to do in surfing to go and win an event in hawaii not only are you competing against the guys that are on tour each year you're competing against the locals and the huge waves so look i'm sorry Vance, you dropped the ball on this one look great idea giving the uh digital platform but huge fail in giving these guys accolades versus the best guys in the world. I, I'm sorry, I'm over it. 
While Jaws, Waimea, and unnamed outer reefs on Oahu are not official venues for the Vans Triple Crown of Surfing, the Pacific Ocean has been dealing a ridiculous amount of energy towards them in the past few days, and the clips coming out have been nothing short of mind-bending. Ross and Mick, you are both digitally engaged members of Gen X and Y, respectively. Sorry again, Ross. And you've no doubt been scouring every wave that's recently come out of Hawaii. So for Heat 2, we need you to make a call. What has been the single most impressive ride you've seen out of Hawaii from this recent swell? Mick, please start us off. Yeah, look, it's been truly incredible from, uh, you know, obviously Jaws, the Outer Reefs, Waimea, um, towing versus paddling. There's so many amazing things, but the person I'm going to go with is Justine Dupont. Yes, it was a tow wave, but what it does for women surfing in this realm is out of control. But in saying that, the way that she just held off, she, she could easily just be gunning for the channel. She fades and waits, and then she sees the section and then pulls up into it. And she's deep, she's incredibly deep. If anyone else got that wave, everyone would have been like, yes, I got the craziest wave today. So that's why I'm going with Justine Dupont, just on the fact that she rode it like a, a big wave legend. That was an incredible ride from Justine. Um, you know, Jaws was incredible. Uh, that day was too big for the guys. I think they tried to paddle in the morning. They couldn't, so they had to tow. So incredible rides went down there. Um, but I'm going to go with uh, John John Florence uh, out in Outer Reef. These were simply some of the best waves I have ever seen in terms of the big wave world. But this wave from John, what makes it so incredible and, and one of the best ridden waves I've ever seen in my life is, okay, so this is a 20, 25 foot wave Hawaiian style, whatever that means. It's like a 40, 50 foot face. And he's surfing it like it's a six foot wave at pipe. I mean, for John to get behind it, backdoor it, he actually was sliding up to the front of his board so that he could slide down the face and, and use his body like he would on a six foot wave at pipe. Um, you just don't do it. I don't, I, I don't, you know, what he's doing, he's in a really, I think he's in a league of his own. I don't know of anyone else really doing this. There, there are some incredible rides from Mikey Wright and Ka'ivi Berry that had sort of similar uh, line to this, but um, this was in a league of its own. It was just simply put one of the best waves I've ever seen ridden. Mate, I knew you were going to pick John, but I'm, I'm done giving it rubbish. Um, look, I, I think they're all incredible. <laughs> to even just go out on days like this is just truly incredible. So, look, massive respect to everyone that did it. Um, and just glad everyone got home safe and happy. A little bit of a love fest for Heat 2 there, but Mick, I'm really glad you raised Justine Dupont's ride at Jaws as it was absolutely jaw-dropping and leads us to our next heat. So for Heat 3, we're asking which area will drive this progression in women surfing more? The efforts at Pipeline and Jaws or the high-performance surfing of the younger generation? Ross, open us up. Okay, uh, this is uh, not even close in my book. Um, you know, for, for me, you know, big wave surfing and for the women's, they've definitely made some huge improvements. But over the last 20, 20 years or even more, 30 years, we've had Kiala Kenley, Rochelle Ballard, um, and you know, currently Justine and Paige and all these, these women in Maui um, are definitely pushing the envelope, but nowhere near that uh, sort of gap where it's gone from, from here to here with performance surfing. You have Betty Lou Johnson, Sierra Kerr, Aaron Brooks, these young women that are 15, 16 years old are, are planting huge errors. Uh, all the wave pool sessions over this last summer, uh, technical grabs, 
huge height in these errors. They're not just little gimmicky uh, credit card errors. Like these are proper error moves. Uh, and then they're backed up with performances like um, Betty Lou in, in Bali um, and even here in Haleiwa. She's throwing down some crazy power turns. I mean, literally matching a lot of men on tour. Um, so, uh, you know, where this has gone over the last year for me is it's a huge jump. Yeah, look, I think it's great. I think the women's surfing is, you know, definitely those leaps and bounds, especially in the air is incredible. But I think the biggest thing for women's surfing right now is the waves of consequence. You know, you've got so many naysayers out there saying they don't deserve equal pay because they don't charge these sort of waves. Um, look, I, I believe they can do it. I think that's where the biggest progression will come over the next couple of years. And look, who knows, they're gonna be like, like the guys coming out of getting spat out of a tube of pipeline and doing a huge air reverse on the end. That's what I want to see in the next five to 10 years from the women. Yeah. But Mick, the question is, is what, what's pushing an envelope right now? Um, and, uh, you know, I want them to go there too. And I really think they can, but currently right now, you know, big wave surfing, it's, it's definitely, um, you know, really fun to watch and, and they're, they're, doing, you know, having some amazing rides, but nothing compared to the to progression. Um, and, it, and again, namely the youth. Yeah, look, I'm gonna disagree with you there again. I think I'm more impressed with the women taking off and getting away with a pipeline or a chopu, um, just because I know what's involved in that, pushing yourself over the edge and, and, you know, the technical difficulties of threading those tubes. So I feel like the women are already at a great level in the performance side of it and they keep pushing each and every year um so yeah look still going to stick with the, the waves of consequence speaking of the pacific going off in recent weeks it's not all glory there has been plenty of carnage from 50 foot jet ski jumps at waimea to masochistic windsurfers at jaws people are getting sandy all over the goddamn place and this amount of chaos resurfaces the age-old debate on readiness. Uh, advancements in technology in the past two decades have led to huge strides in terms of access to the big wave realm, none maybe more so than the inflatable vest. It's been the cause for great celebration in protecting the gnarliest chargers on the planet, but it's also been the subject of criticism for providing a, a false sense of security to those who are not ready. So for Heat 4, the question is, should surfers need to be formally certified before being allowed to purchase a big wave flotation vest? Mick, you're up. Uh, straight answer is yes. Um, I think the, the invention of the, the vest was to save lives. And I think people are getting some, you know, courage that I don't know where it comes from. For me personally, I'm scared to put on a vest because it means I have to go. <laughs> so it's not only vests, I think it's jet skis as well. I think we, we've got to have some sort of licensing or, you know, maybe it's a safety course that you've got to prove to send in to get one of these vests. Um, and also, you know, get a jet ski license to go and surf these big waves. And it's not only Hawaii, it's, it's all around the world. There's no way I'm going to disagree with you on this one. Um, I, 100% there needs to be some sort of, for lack of a better term, governing um, for, for the, not only vests, um, but I agree with you, Mick. Definitely jet skis, to me, is where the problem is. Um, vests do nothing but save lives. It does give you a bit of a self, um, uh, um, false security. But skis get you into the lineup. And that's where big wave surfing, you know, in, in the 70s, 80s, and 90s was a big deal because you had to get there uh, on your own accord. Now with jet skis, 
full-blown kooks are just zipping out into the lineup, um, <laughs> you know, where they wouldn't be normally. Uh, so jet skis is the real problem. And we saw just a couple days ago during that incredible swell, um, I had all kinds of friends out there that were just saying, man, it was unbelievable. There were half the guys out there had no business of being out there. There was looky loos. We all saw that white ski jump 60 feet in the air um, and almost killed someone. Uh, so yeah, um, I think it's going to get to the point, unfortunately, where we're going to have lifeguards that will be, have to police lineups and actually, you know, tell people to, to sort of scale back because there are just you know, way too many dudes in the lineup. That footage of those jet skis, that was incredible. That was just straight up scary. Um, I'm glad everyone's safe and healthy and alive. But yeah, I think when it comes to big wave surfing and jet skis and all that sort of stuff, there's got to be some sort of governing and there's got to be some sort of course to get you out there. I know surfing's a free sport, but look, it's for not only the safety of the person going out, but it's safety of others. It's kind of necessary because when it comes to life and death, you know, you don't want people dying over, you know, trying to enjoy the waves. So just needs a little bit of organization. I think same in Australia, right? Mick, there's, there's carnage there too. Every day. Look at Darren Hanley. Sorry, Darren. <laughs> <laughs>When we return, Mick and Ross will be going deep into arguably the greatest ride ever at Mavericks and the discussion on where surf companies place their sponsorships moving forward. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome back to Getting Heated. I'm Dave Prodan, joined by a pair of legends in Mick Fanning and Ross Williams. How are you guys feeling about the show so far today? Are there any corrections you want to make yet? I think we're good. Uh, look, I think we're good. We're, we're hugging it out today. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So for the final segment of the day, we are going deep on the topic of the hour. On January 8th, 51-year-old Peter Mel got what many are calling the best wave ever surfed at Mavericks, a horrifyingly critical line threading the barrel and being spat out into the channel. Mel claims he's been chasing a line like that on a wave like that for over 30 years. A longtime Quicksilver-sponsored surfer, Mel separated from the Mountain and the Wave Company in 2019, all of which is to tee up our going deep question. The surf industry has long been obsessed with the cult of youth, opting to pay for potential in emerging talent rather than accomplishment in older surfers. Given the state of surfing, the question is, is this approach still correct? Mick, you've still got lots of stickers, so why don't you start us off? <laughs> for how long? Um, look, I guess um, we've got to respect our elders. We've got to respect the people that have come through. But um, look, I think we 
we focus a little bit too much of the potential of something. And I think it's sort of almost getting into dangerous places where parents are, are getting this false sense of hope. And I think that's sort of giving not only parents false hope, but um, the kids false hope, because anyone who can stand up and go along and do a turn is pretty much getting a sticker these days, just in case they become world champion. And I think it's a real dangerous place. Mm. Yeah, I think, uh, you know, the, our surf world has always been very addicted to sponsoring youth. There's a good portion of our community that's basically models. I think performances add to it, which is, you know, we're talking about Pete Mel specifically. All of a sudden, he had these incredible two rides, actually, the barrel and then the tow wave. You know, it really shook the world, how incredible that it was. And it's, it's actually kind of cool that, that Pete is, what is Pete, 50, 51 years old. So, but... You know, contracts are are very, you know, they're a result of how health, healthy the industry is. And, you know, right now the surf industry is just bizarre. It's really feast or famine. Um, so it's less about how well Pete Mel is performing and more about how healthy, how many extra dollars are out there for the surf community because, you know, youth is always going to win this debate. During the noughties, there was so much money in the surf industry and everyone thinks they're going to get this million dollar contract for doing absolutely nothing. And the bottom line is, is you have to work hard to, to get money. It's like anything, you have to go and work hard and, and you got to somehow reinvent yourself each and every year. You got to show the company something new. Cause if you keep doing the same thing day in, day out, um, it, it's not going to make headlines. It's not going to do the same thing. So I think to all the kids and everyone coming through that are still looking to get sponsored, let's see if we can you know, try and reinvent yourself and try and come up with something new, not crazy new, but just, just a new look each year. Mm. And, you know, the surf world is in a transition right now, uh, which is, you, you never know in five years from, from now, maybe it'll be healthy enough to sort of go back to the nineties where, you know, everyone can make a good living. Cause right now it is kind of feast or famine where people are either making a few million dollars or stoked to make 20 grand. You know, there's this, this huge discrepancy between the two. So, and I'm not giving up uh, hope on our on our buddy Pete Mel. Uh, but if he starts like supping down the river at Santa Cruz and flexing with no shirt on, then then we're gonna have to call it quits for him. <laughs> Imagine the condor to spread the wings down the river. <laughs> Here's a quick follow up question in this space because you guys have been around it for for long enough. What's been the most disruptive surfer contract that you've seen in your time? Whether it was sort of Tom Carroll. Kelly Slater, Steph Gilmore, Dane Reynolds. What was it that you guys think really like disrupted the industry from your opinion? Oh, it, that's a tough one. Look, I probably the, the one that I feel got the best kudos at the time was Oki's 10 year deal with Billabong. You know, Oki did so much for Billabong. He still does so much for Billabong. And it just sort of just gave him a, a tick of approval. It's like, it's like a thank you card. I. Personally, I'm one of the lucky ones as well with Rip Curl, um, you know, getting a 10 year deal as I retire. It's like, oh, thank you, you know, but I think that there are still those companies out there that um, pay respects to that. And, but you still have to work hard, you know, I'm busier than ever. <laughs> yeah, you're worth every penny though, Mick. Look how pretty you look right now. <laughs> I know. Thanks, Ross. Um, that's a, that's a, you can be my manager too, mate. <laughs> That's an interesting question, Dave. Um, I would say collectively, Team Hurley was uh, had a huge impact on the industry, especially when it was bought out by Nike. Um, they were handing out huge contracts left and right. Um, 
And you could argue that it was working there for a long time uh, and they were successful because of it. Um, but it lifted the whole industry into the stratosphere in terms of payment. And a lot of these smaller companies were like, what am I supposed to do here and match that contract? There's just no way. So that's kind of an interesting one. But yeah, there was a lot of money there for a while that, um, as you said, was sort of disruptive. But um, as we all saw, that sort of disappeared now. Well, it's a brave new world and professional surfing is nothing if not the game of stickers. So that's a wrap for this episode of Getting Heated. If you disagree with any of the opinions you heard today, we will post Mick and Ross's cell phone numbers in the comments below. Go on and scroll down after you smash that subscribe button. So thanks, guys, and we'll see you next time. Cheers, guys. Hug you yeah. next week.